But if you're joining us and you're new here, again, welcome. And like I said, I'm, I'm Rob Chestnut. I'm one of the teaching pastors as well from time to time. And we are in the midst of a really neat series, one that I'm really excited about. And it's talking about who Jesus is. And as, as we move towards Christmas, it's the ideal time when we begin to talk about this. In fact, this being the first week of Advent, uh, as, as we look forward to the hope that is coming. And I don't know if you celebrate Advent and kind of the, the time frame of leading up to his arrival. But we've decided also to take these few weeks and say, okay, let's, let's look at the Christmas story, but we want to do it kind of from a different angle. We want to do it from maybe a way you haven't seen before, because the, the usual way is to take either the story from Matthew or you take the story from Luke. But we've actually said, hey, let's look at it through the lens of John. Because John, one of the main disciples, one of the disciples even who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, had a different avenue of when you look at Jesus. He saw him from a very different perspective. And actually, when you take the Gospels as a whole, and when we talk about the Gospels, we're talking about the first four books in the New Testament. And these four books are the ones that tell the story of Jesus, they tell the story of the good news, but they each have a bit of a different angle and perspective to it. So Matthew, which is the first one, that talks about Jesus as the Messiah, you know, the, the Savior, the one who is coming. Mark looks at Jesus as the servant king because it's kind of this bizarre dynamic of someone who would be so high and lofty and yet come in such a lowly place in order to serve the people around them. Luke is that idea of the historical Jesus and kind of seeing the chronological steps of like where he came from and who he is and what that means in the overall scheme of things. And then John, as the last book in the, in the Gospels, is actually very different because while the first three follow this kind of chronological, you know, forward motion, John actually spends the bulk of the book on the last few weeks of Jesus's life. And in that last few weeks of Jesus's life, that's where he spends most of his time. But he kind of goes through different phases. He jumps ahead and kind of, he doesn't follow the regular order because John is more concerned with the heart of Christ with who Jesus really says he is. And that's why we're taking this time as we in the midst of this series called Who, we're saying who Jesus is. And so last week we started, you know, we're, and we're doing this verse by verse, which is also a pretty neat thing. So we're going verse by verse as we move forward. And last week we did verse one. And, you know, it's important to recap and go over um, what we talked about last week. So we're going to go ahead and play Steve's message from last week. If we could just cue that up and just roll it through. You guys have got time at second service. There's nothing else going on after this, I know. So we'll just start. No? Okay, no, we're, we won't do that. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, saw a lot of intense faces there for a moment there. All right, folks. But uh, we actually want to take a look at John 1.1. This is what we open up with. And John 1.1 is the prologue. This is the famous opening, probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible, one that would be known throughout and still is continued to. There is so much information in John 1.1. We could probably just do the whole series on just that, but we'll, we'll keep it moving. But we want to start there just to kind of recap everything. And so John 1.1 starts this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Ugh. Now this is... Actually, and it's really interesting too, if you think about it in a grammatical sense, there's three different statements, there's three different sections within this one verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you've got those three different statements that are being said, and there's, there's a reason for those three statements, and, and I just kind of want to recap them real quick to give everybody um, to catch us all up. The first is that aspect of in the beginning was the Word, 
It's very intentional with that language in the beginning because it sounds a lot like Genesis. Genesis, Yes. And Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John is intentional in his choice of words of being in the beginning. He wanted the reader, when he first comes across it, to see in the beginning and go, Oh, that's, that's just like Genesis. And that puts you in that mindset of like, okay, we're, we're going all the way back to the beginning. This ties it all the way in and we're gonna be talking about creation. Next, that middle section and the word was with God, the connection, the relationship, and the word was God. And now this is when it begins to get into those realms of uh, just fun, shall we say, because God and Jesus are together and they are separate, but they are the same. Okay, everybody have a great week. We're done with that one. Good luck on all that. Yes, right, okay. So, uh, but John wants to put some particular emphasis on this because that idea of someone being someone else, but yet being independent is still, you know, blowing the mind how many thousands of years later, but this is an important part of who Christ is. So we have John 1, 1 with this huge opening, and now we move to John 1, verse 2. And you can, go, uh, you can go ahead and turn in John if you haven't done that already. You can go to your Bibles. And so John 1, verse 2 says this. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, it's interesting if you look at he was in the beginning with God. Really what John has done is he's taken those three statements that we just talked about and he smashed them all into one sentence. And he's put them in one sentence all over again. So you have to ask the question then, why? Why would you say the same thing all over again? Now, those of us who have been in school, we all know that if the teacher repeats something, it's probably important. Because if the teacher repeats something, it's probably important. Because if the teacher repeats something, it's probably important. See, now you've all learned something. Congratulations. All right, great. But no, it's that idea of repetition because John is saying, look, we just can't leave it with verse one. There's still more to this. There's still more to his character and you need to make sure you understand what we're talking about. So that's why he says he was in the beginning with God. And essentially what he's looking at is he wants to drive home two main points and that's what we're gonna look at today. And if I had the ability to take the verse and just kind of have it like hovering here in the air in front of me, I would circle he was in the beginning, and then I'd circle beginning with God. Because this is the two dynamics that John is trying to drive home again. First off, it's that idea of the eternal Jesus. He was in the beginning. He has been since the beginning. He has existed since the beginning. Everything that has ever happened, he was ahead of it. And then that second half of it is that dynamic of the relationship with God himself. So, Let's start with that first part. He was in the beginning. Now, when we begin to talk about the beginning and we're talking about Jesus being there in the beginning, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. But the problem is we're talking about a concept that deals with being outside of time, okay? Outside of everything that existed. And we are all mortal human beings, Okay, we are all trapped by time and this moment is gone and this moment is gone and this moment is gone and this moment is gone. And every one of those moments that just happened, every single thing that just took place, no one can do anything to go back to that point. 
No one has any opportunity to go back in time. No one can recapture that moment. We are all moving forward as time moves forward and there's nothing we can do to slow it down or stop it or anything. It continues on. Now I know what some of you are thinking. I don't know, Rob, on Sunday mornings, you seem to make time slow way down. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Yost. Okay, so... But no, that's not the case. That's not the case. We are all constantly moving forward, but Jesus is outside of time. So how do we wrap our heads around this one as we continue to move through time, even at this very moment? Moment gone, moment gone, moment gone, moment gone. So here's what I need everybody to do. We actually have a little bit of an object lesson this week that everybody gets to partake in. If you're taking notes and you have a pen, Hold your pen in front of your face, just like this. Or if you don't have a pen, there are pens in front of the little pockets right there. You can borrow with your neighbors. If they're a guest, let them have it, please. Thank you, okay. But so if you hold your pen right in front of your face and imagine this is time. This is everything. This is the existence from start to finish, okay? You know, here, we're all, now we're all looking at it the same way, folks, okay? So here we have in the beginning, and this is, you know, the end of the world, and we are, well, we won't talk about that, but uh, no, but time moves forward through this line, but where are you in connection to the pen right now? Where are you in connection to the pen? You're outside of it. You're outside of it. So this is what it's like to be outside of time in a sense, okay? The ability to see, yes, it's moving forward, but I can actually see everything that came from it, everything that's passed behind it. Well, that was lucky. Uh, And so this is the way that time works. This is what Christ, this is what God has a view of. They're able to be completely outside of the time spectrum and see all that's taking place, okay? It's moving forward, but yet still, I've got everything behind it. This is where they are. And that's kind of the best thing we can say, at least in the moment, to begin to wrap our heads around the idea of God and Son and Spirit. He's there too, but we won't get into that today. But all of them there being outside of time. Jesus himself even speaks to this part in John 17, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So even Jesus himself as speaking, and by the way, this is the high priestly prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus is praying for us as believers in the future. It's a prayer that we as 360 take to heart because he's talking about that idea of that they would be one, that there would be unity. It's something we look to as a church. But this high priestly prayer, he's saying, glorify me with your presence before the world existed. He's acknowledging his place, saying that I was here, out here, went all before any of this even came into being, okay? So we just kind of need to sit with that one for a minute. (sighs) That's deep, but it gets deeper. And here's the reason why John wants to put some emphasis on he was in the beginning. Because to John's audience, when he writes this book, there are a lot of other gods who exist. There are a lot of other thoughts and religions and things that take place. And even now we have lots of other thoughts and religions and gods and stuff. And maybe gods are not the same way of like, you know, up on Mount Olympus or whatnot, but there there are other thinkings and ways and things that take place. And one of the big questions that is often asked is that of creation. Where is creation? Where does creation come from? Because if we were some, you know, 
uh, uh, 2,000 years ago living and you begin to observe the world that's around you and you see trees and mountains and, and waters and all this and you recognize, okay, this had to come from something. This had to come from somewhere. Maybe it came from someone. If it was someone, they obviously are worth my time and attention and effort because if they're able to do all this, then woof, they're a lot bigger than I am because I haven't been able to make any trees or mountains recently as much as I tried. So this idea of creation, of being in the beginning is a very specific question. And actually it's one that St. Augustine, who was one of the early church writers, um, he posed this to say that all gods, if they have created something, all gods have to answer this question prior to creation itself what were you doing? What were you doing? What was going on? Because if you look at the history and you look at the stories of all these other gods and you can even attribute it today, the creation come from what? Nothing. Boom, sound, fury, power, whatever. Every usual creation story comes from this place of there was nothing and then there's something. And in the midst of this something, it's usually created by someone who is just exerting themselves and saying, look what I can do. And there it goes, except Christianity. Really? Yes, as a matter of fact. And this is the one that's really interesting. Even farther down, if you look in this high priestly prayer in John 17, 24, Jesus says this. And in saying this, he answers that question, what were you doing before creation? What were you doing before you created the world? Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now do you see this right here? Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So what that means, and this is what ties into that second part of that verse, he was in the beginning with God. So he was in the beginning prior to anything happening. And yet in the beginning, he is with God in relationship, in connection. So creation is not birthed out of sound and fury and power and check me out, but creation is birthed out of relationship. Creation is birthed out of love. It's birthed out of a connection between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. This is where it all comes from. And, and you know, I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. You talk about that relationship that builds things out. And this is why we need to repeat John 1, 1 to talk about the importance of he was in the beginning with God because this is what it signifies. And now if you've noticed, we have this nice shiny sign over here that says pressing beyond ordinary relationships to reach extraordinary kingdom results. God and son is not an ordinary relationship. In fact, the relationship is so special, it's so unbelievable that it's something that allows creation to even come into existence because of it. So if we want an example of pressing beyond ordinary relationships, we have it. It's given to us. And what's interesting too is, so, all right, so we have God and we have son who have been able to create the world and they do it as such. And remember, Trinity's in there as well. I mean, you know, we've got the Holy Spirit's in there. I'm not leaving him out or anything. He's very important, but I'm just making a point of we're talking about the father and the son today in particular. Don't want to let anybody think we're going down some crazy roads or anything. So 
What does it say about the actual person of Jesus himself? Because if he's been in this aspect of relationship, okay, it speaks greatly to who he is and a little bit of his person. And in order to do that, you have to go back to your pen. Okay, so we all go back to time and space, all right? Time and space, can we have time and space in front of you? If you've got time and space in front of you again. Now, here's the thing, we've all talked about it. We can see time and, you know, time is moving forward. Jesus and God are outside of it. They've created the world, the world is happening. And yet now, what can you do with this though? You can turn it and you can look at it from the top and you can look at it from the side. You could look at it straight on if you wanted to. You can zoom in pretty close. You can pull back as needed. And this is the reality that God has right now. He sees everything that is going to happen and he can interact with it in any way that he wants to. So what does this do to the nature of Jesus? Who does he become then in that aspect? Because he can see everything at any given moment. He can zoom in and get 24-hour unlimited access to anything that you want to do. He can see all of human history arrayed before, and if he wants to say, hey, look, look at it this way, and I'll look at it from the top down. I'll see how these things go. And I mean, again, we're using the illustration of a pen to wrap our minds around the space-time continuum and God being outside of it. So it's a little kind of, you know, it's a little much, but... This is what he can do. This is the access that he has, and it gives him unfettered access to everything, everything. And what that means, though, for his character, what that means for who he is, especially in light of the Christmas season, I want to go look at Isaiah and read a prophecy that they speak of Jesus in particular. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. John 1, 2 says he was in the beginning with God and being in the beginning with God gives him unlimited access to everything that ever happened. And in doing so, it allows him to fulfill his name of wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor, because when we think about a counselor, we probably have two different areas that we look at. The first being someone who can give counsel, someone who is wise, someone who has experienced something, someone who's walked through something in their life. Anytime I have a major decision to make, um, like when we moved uh, from the Czech Republic and we moved back to Florida, I call people instantly. It's just, an, it's a gut reaction within me and I have a specific list of people and you know, the bigger the issue, the more people that get called and I just go through and I, I, I need that advice. I want that counsel because I wanna make the right decision. I wanna do the right thing. But at the same time, so we have that aspect of a counselor who is wise, but then we have the counselor who can empathize. The one who's been there before. The one who's walked that road the one who's seen or experienced the things that you are now experiencing and they can speak into your life because of what they've done. And actually this side and this side play in together because the wisdom and experience comes from the experience and the ability to empathize with what happened. And if I can pause for a moment and just say that we actually do something like that here in 360. 
And I don't know if you've noticed little cards in the row in front of you, but they're called row four. And the idea behind row four is to say that if you've walked through something, church, if you've experienced something, and it could be great or it could be really bad, but you're saying, look, I've had this experience. I'm gonna write it down on this piece of paper and I'm gonna submit it in because there might be someone out there who has not been through this experience. And I can actually, I'm willing to say, look, I've walked this road. I've gone through divorce. I've lost a child. I, I, I can fix a car. I don't know. It's whatever you might have to offer. This is the body taking care of the body. And every church I interact with and talk to, and I tell them about this ministry, it is always met with the same response. Whoa, 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 wait. You let your people take care of your people? Is that allowed? Like I thought just the staff takes care of everyone and you guys just come on Sunday mornings. No, it's such a different change. And if you're willing to put yourself out there and to counsel someone else, well, you, you get to fill that role. You get to be a little bit of Jesus to them. So that's a row four plug. I'm gonna cut it right there. Great, fill one in, turn one in. You never know what could come of it. You never know how God's gonna use your experiences. So that's all I wanna say about that one. So we have... The two hats that Jesus is wearing is wonderful counselor. There's the aspect again of having the experience, the wisdom, but also the one who cares. And the reason he can wear these hats is because he's been here. He's been out here and he's watched everything that's taken place. He even mentions this himself. He even speaks of it uh, in scripture in John chapter two. And this one's pretty wild. John 2, 24 to 25. And I, I, let me give you some context before we read the verse. So this is right after the miracle at Cana. This was uh, Jesus' first like public appearance in terms of doing a miracle. Uh, the crowds are getting very worked up. They're excited about him. They want to follow him. And this is what it has to say in John 2, 24 and 25. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Ouch. That one stings a little bit. And what's interesting too, if you look at the original language, this word knew, you know, he himself knew what was in man. It's to experientially know, having had experience as it because he was out here. He was out here and he got to watch. And, you know, even when you're out here, you can pull it real close. You know, you can check out your space-time continuum that you're using right now and kind of say like, oh, wow, I've never looked at it from that angle before. Ah, oh, there's a nick up top. Huh, that's funny. Look at this, you know? And, and in the same way that Jesus and God can interact with time itself and get super close and look, or if they need to pull back, they can pull back and see the whole picture. This is the reality that they're working with. But what's crazy in all of it is that he didn't stay out here. He didn't maintain a safe distance. He was in the beginning with God, but he didn't stay there because he very well could have, let's be honest. I mean, I think for a lot of us, it would have been a lot easier. You know, I can even see it in some of just like, hey guys, you're doing it wrong. No, that's not it. Stop. Hey, 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 earthquake, nothing. All right, fine. Forget it. But, or, you know, I mean, God could use prophets. He could use kings. And he did. You know, he had different messengers and things to say things. And yet, that didn't work. So what does he do? 
What does he do? He goes close. He goes way close. He goes so close, in fact, that he gets right there in the midst of it. Because the relationship between us and God was broken. We know that. That's what happened in the garden. This is when sin came into the picture. It needed to be fixed. It needed to be reconciled. And staying outside of the time, staying outside of it, is something that wasn't going to work. He had to go inside. And going inside, what does God do? He says, okay, I'm going to send my son. And why does he send his son? Because in the beginning, he was in the beginning with God because of the relationship. The relationship is what drives him to go to that point, to go all the way in. So God sends his son, his son who was with him from the very beginning, his son who has witnessed all of humanity and seen all the flaws and everything that they possess, and his son who got closer than anybody else at any point in time ever, his son, Emmanuel, God with us, God with us. And I need you to understand something. And you know, we've played with this pen and it's cute and whatnot and the space-time continuum in your hand and everything along that line. But the same logic and power and understanding and reason that would be if you could turn yourself into something and go into the pen and become a part of it is the same logic of Jesus stepping off the throne and coming all the way down here to be a part of us. It's the same level of crazy. It's the same level of just, we we can't wrap our heads around it because it's so foreign and bizarre and yet he still comes close. And why does he come close? Because he's been with the Father. He was in the beginning with God and being with God, that relationship, he said, look, this relationship that birthed creation, that was the reason behind creation, that same relationship is the reason he wants to come close to you because he wants you to partake in it as well. He wants you to experience what that is because it has the same power to create the world. It's the same power to create new life within us. This is the beauty and the story of Christmas. This is why we're doing what we're doing. And I mean, even this is why it says in Hebrews, in Hebrews 4, 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is Jesus who said, I have come so close that I can smell it, feel it, taste it, touch it. It's right there around me because of what I was a part of. And I want you to be a part of that as well. I want you to have that access to the Father. I want you to be a part of that relationship that has existed since the beginning. And I'm not staying out here. I'm going all the way in. I'm going all the way in. John speaks to it again in one of his later letters in 1 John 1.1, he says this, that which was from the beginning, once again from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the word of life, of life given to us, 
This is the message we are moving towards. This is the message that we need to hear, the message of life, of light, and of the coming king. This, this is Christmas. This is what we celebrate. Let's pray. God, I do not understand at all the choice to get close, to be Emmanuel, that you would step out of everything that you knew and would come so close, so personal, that we have heard, we have seen, that we have touched with our hands even. And yet you did. You did because of the love you have for us. You did because you have been with the Father since the beginning. And this is the word, this is the truth that we build our lives upon. Father, may we remember this relationship. May we take it to our hearts. May we keep it at the forefront of our minds during this Christmas season. That's because of the relationship that you had with the Son, with the Spirit, and that you sent him here to earth to replicate it with us as well. How marvelous, how unbelievable, how humbled and grateful we are. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.